What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The following podcast contains explicit language. I've had the discussion kind of explaining to people what asexuality is so many times that it's, it's almost second nature for me. I'm the asexual person that other asexual people know the most. I've kind of become the figurehead of the movement. Hello, folks. This is Represent, and I'm Aisha Harris. This is also, I should point out, our very first episode of what we can now officially call a Trump presidency. It's here. The Twilight Zone, the apocalypse, idiocracy, whatever you want to call it. Is it depressing? Well, yes. But now is the time to resist and fight back, and I look forward to seeing the ways in which my fellow progressives do that over the next four years. And for my part, one of the ways in which I fight back is through making this show with my producer, Verilyn. And in this episode, we're going to spotlight a group that is particularly under and misrepresented, the asexual community. If you're unfamiliar with the term, this will definitely be a learning experience for you, as it certainly was for me. So to start, I interviewed David Jay and Angela Tucker, the star and director, respectively, of the 2011 documentary Asexual, which traces David's emergence as the name and face of the movement for asexuals to become more visible. David founded the Asexual Visibility and Education Network in 2001 and has helped other asexuals identify themselves and find one another to gain a sense of community, while Angela is a documentary filmmaker currently living in New Orleans. And just a heads up, you're going to hear all of our guests use the term ace, as in the ace community, which is just a shortened word for asexual. Check it out. Well, thank you so much to both David and Angela for joining us today on the show. Hello. Hey, thanks so much for having us on. (laughs) Yeah. First off, I I watched the documentary, um, obviously, but I would love if you could give our listeners kind of an idea of like what asexuality, how it's broadly defined. I know there are a lot of different people interpret it in different ways, um, but how do you define it and and know, how did you come to this realization that you are asexual? So I realized that I was, I realized that I was asexual around the age of 13 or 14. And uh, what I realized was that I wasn't experiencing sexual attraction. I didn't have a desire to make sexuality a part of my relationships with other people, even though I had a, a desire for intimacy. I wanted to emotionally connect with people, just not through sex. Mm-hmm. And at first I was really scared. I was really alone. Uh, and so I started a website to try to find other people like me and found that there were at first thousands and then tens of thousands um, and then more people who were coming together um, because they felt the same way and Mm -hmm. they wanted a safe space to talk about it. And one of the really incredible things that happened 
as all of us began to come together is that there was a huge spectrum of experience just like there is for every kind of human sexuality. And so um, I identify as asexual, but there also were people who started identifying as gray A because they're on a spectrum between sexual and asexual. People who started identifying as demisexual because they experience sexual attraction only uh, only once they formed a really close intimate relationship with someone. Mm. There's really a pretty wide range of experience. and there's uh, the community that I started, asexuality.org, is a place where we come together and just kind of figure ourselves out, like figure out how we place ourselves in navigating this world that often equates sexuality and happiness. Yeah. thinks it's a necessary condition. Yeah. And I think at one point in the documentary, it's mentioned that when you started that website, you it, Googling asexuality was kind of like impossible to yeah. do. Like you, <laughs> or I mean, I, part of it, well, part of it is this idea that asexuality is it's not visible like people don't even really consider Mm -hmm. it as an option and so like can you talk a little bit more about that and how how difficult it was to find like did you have a word for it when you when you discover this or is it something you had to like read about on your own and figure that out so I I didn't have a word for it. I kind of invented a word yeah I invented the word asexual out of thin air yeah um and that uh at first made me seem special, but it wasn't really. So in those early days of the community, um, all over the world, there were people inventing this word, people having this experience mm-hmm. and really wanting a place to talk about it and a way to talk about it and not having one. And so when I started my website, the only way that anyone found it is that if they had independently invented the same word and then they typed it into Google. Wow. And we had thousands and thousands of people who were coming together that way. Yeah. Uh, so there was really kind of a need to talk about this. And Angela, you don't identify as asexual, correct? No. Okay. No, I just I read an article actually on Slate about uh, David, and um, I was working in a documentary production company at the time, and was looking for a topic to kind of make my first film with. And so when I was reading that article, I kind of went to a dinner party and talked to people about it. And I was just struck by the very strong reactions that people had to just the notion of asexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like one of those conversations that you're in for a long time and people are like, but how is that possible? But, blah, blah, blah. you know, people are like debating. And, yeah. and that that was something that I said, oh, there's definitely a film here. And I think, too, you know, in sort of thinking about the work that I do, I'm very interested in doing work around identity politics. And so I think that was kind of an, another entryway for me in terms of finding this interest, interesting in terms of, you know, um, how, looking at this community that was really forming how they were talking about who they were and how the world was interacting with who they were. Yeah. I mean, I, I have to admit, I've I think I've only known or in college, I knew one person who identified as asexual. And I remember when they told me this, I was like. Really? Like, I didn't, I had never, I actually had never, like, considered it as something that people identify as. And I think that's mm-hmm. the reaction. We see it in the documentary where there's mm-hmm. a lot of people, especially there's a moment when the documentary where you guys go to a uh, LGBT parade mm-hmm. and you're there to sort of bring awareness to asexuality. And <laughs> so many people react like, what is that? Or <laughs> I don't believe in that. Um, and so I, I had sort of the same reaction. And I'm curious, Angela, if you did you have any sort of feeling in that way when you first learned about it? And were there any sort of as you were doing interviews and speaking with people and finding out these different ways of being asexual and identifying as asexual, 
were there any sort of prejudices of your own or sort of thoughts that you had that you had to sort of suppress or or get over while you were making the film? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that was what was interesting to me about it. Um, I'm someone who I consider myself extremely progressive. You know, I grew up in the East Village. I was raised like my parents were the kind of people who were like, gender's fluid back when people weren't even saying things like that. So I really, really believed like I was like the most progressive person in the world. And when this idea first came up, I struggled with it. I mean, and I did, you know, being totally honest, I did spend the beginning part of the film doing interviews, feeling like I was going to catch somebody, that they weren't really asexual. They were just sort of saying that they were. And I don't know why I thought this, but I really had a hard time believing that it was so. And what I learned, I mean, so for me, it was a huge learning curve in terms of just really believing that people, they they can identify however they want to identify. And that is the truth. Mm-hmm. And it's not like for me to say, oh, well, I don't necessarily think that's true. Or, you know, people are, it just was very fascinating for me. Um, and it was a big learning curve for me, for everybody on our team. I mean, you know, when you, when you make a documentary, you make it with a ton of people. And uh, it would always be interesting to bring in like a new cinematographer or a new sound person and have them not know anything about asexuality and watch sort of this like very intense learning curve you get every time you interview somebody. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was always great actually to have those new people come in because you know, at a certain point, I became old hat on the topic. And so when I would speak people, I wouldn't even ask them the one-on-one questions. I'd be like, yeah, I know. Yeah, you. I want to know more about you. And then people would say, well, you, they need to say how what asexuality means to them, you know? And that's actually something that's very important in the film, too, that each character says their definition of asexuality mm-hmm. in the movie. And we did that because everyone that we met defined it slightly differently and we thought it was important to include that in the piece Mm -hmm. and were you did you guys talk about this at all in terms of her um feelings about asexuality was that something you sort of tried to help her with or did you do a good job angela of like not (laughs) showing uh i think i did a good job i think you did a good job (laughs) i i think when it was first starting uh angela you called me to propose this documentary um and this was by far the most intimate and vulnerable exposure that our community had had to anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think I really wanted to know not only that, you know, not at, at the moment that you got it, because I, it's a learning curve for everyone. Like it was a learning curve for me to accept asexuality, right? Um, it's a learning curve for most ace people to do that. Ace is a, a slang term for uh, for folks on the ace spectrum, asexual spectrum. Uh, and so... It wasn't that you needed to get it right away, but I needed to know that you were kind of interested in going on that journey. Uh, And I could tell that right away. And also that that was something you were really capable of. Yeah, I mean, I definitely feel as if um, uh, having worked on other documentaries, um, I knew that when you pick a topic to make a film about, this is something that you're going to be talking about. At first, I thought it would be, you know, for a few years. But, you know, until another documentary about asexuality comes out, I'm talking about this forever. You know, know, so I I don't actually take projects like this lightly, too, because I understand that you become sort of an activist on this on this issue. Um, And so 
as time went on in the making of the film, I became more and more comfortable doing that because I got to know more and more people. And I just really felt like the lack of visibility around this topic was something that needed to change. Mm -hmm. And I know, Angela, you've mentioned in past interviews when you were also still talking about the documentary (laughs) that um, it was difficult for you both to, to raise money for it to even make the film because either a part of it is that sex is difficult and it's a it's a difficult uh touchy subject for documentaries i guess which i find yeah, kind of surprising yeah. because in hollywood sex apparently yeah. sells um <laughs> but also because it, it it is a very invisible um movement mm-hmm. you call it a movement in the documentary so it's yeah. a very invisible movement and what were some of I, I imagine that a lot of the the sort of the pushback you got or the difficulty difficulties you had were also similar to what you, David, have experienced as an asexual person just coming out as asexual. Mm -hmm. Like, what were some of the things that you were told about why they didn't want to give you money or, you know, this documentary will never work? Yeah, I mean, I think people really were interested in the topic and Mm -hmm. they would meet with me and talk to me forever about the topic, but then never give me any money. <laughs> <laughs> they just wanted to to, to yeah, pluck your brain. They just wanted, yeah. Exactly. They wanted to be like, really? And I think that this is something that um, is another sort of theme within the film um, that came from actually all of these rejection conversations was I was really struck by how a conversation about asexuality led people who didn't identify as asexual to be more upfront about times in their lives when they didn't exactly feel like they were as, quote, sexual as they were supposed to be. And, um, and also it created a space for a conversation about relationships and creating relationships in the way that you really want it to be and not in this sort of idea that society has put out there for you. Mm -hmm. And if that means like you're in a highly sexual relationship, fine. And if that means you're not, that's fine too. So that actually was as interesting to me um, and became my way of making a film that people who identified all kinds of ways could have access to. Um, But yeah, it was very difficult because, you know, it's still this thing of people don't, a lot of people just don't believe that there's enough people who identify this way, that it's a real thing. Like they just, they were like, this sounds interesting. I want to see it when it's done. That would be the constant conversation. Mm. Um, And, you know, I think one of the great things about the success of the film was that I always knew that there would be a community online that would embrace this movie. And this was sort of before, you know, movies being on demand and online was something that, was something that you wanted. It was back, you know, when I was directing this movie and we were kind of in production, we were still in the mode of the only success for our documentary was having it be on a few specific venues, Mm -hmm. like, you know, broadcast venues. Mm. Um, But I always just had this intuition that this was the kind of movie that people would find and watch in, in their homes and be like talking to each other about. I didn't, I never thought it was a movie that someone would go to a theater and see because it takes a lot of, you know, bravery to do that. And I don't think enough people are brave enough to do that. <laughs> if you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So obviously David is white and Angela doesn't identify as ace. So I wanted to get some perspectives from other women and people of color within the community to flush this conversation out a bit more, particularly when thinking about representations of asexuals on television. We'll dive into that with Angela and David first, and then you'll hear from three more individuals. Giovanna, who is Black, Bauer, who is white and started an ace meetup in New York City, and my friend Noreen, who is Pakistani. When you made this documentary, it came out, it came out in 2011 and you were recording it. How long did it take you over, like, how many years did you film? Um, I think you're on, like, three years. Yeah, that seems about right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. a lot has changed since then. It seems like a, I'm, that's, you know, if you count when you started the film, that's about, what, a decade now? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, now we have, not that it's changed a lot, but we have a few more examples of people who identify as asexual or who could be read as ident- mm-hmm. um, asexual characters. Mm-hmm. And you and I actually, David, talked like yeah. a few months back and you gave me a few examples. One of them that I came across was uh, House, which notoriously yeah. the TV show with Hugh Laurie. Hormone levels are normal. This woman seems perfectly healthy. What does it matter if she says she's asexual? It's the fundamental drive of our species. Sex is healthy. You're going to have to accept she just doesn't want sex. Lots of people don't have sex. The only people who don't want it are either sick, dead, or lying. The whole premise of this episode of House is that uh, a colleague of, of Dr. House, uh, <laughs> he, he says that he has a patient who is asexual and his wife is also asexual. And he makes a bet with him that he can't prove that there's a medical reason for why he doesn't want to have sex. <laughs> this, oh, my God. I haven't seen that one. Oh, you yeah. haven't? Oh, yeah. So yeah. so that apparently caused a huge uh, justified out, outrage. And there was a petition that went around. Um what is the danger? I mean, this is probably a very obvious region, but what is the danger of like considering this a curable illness or a curable disease? And, and, you know, how do we combat that? Uh, this has come up a lot recently. Um, I actually just sent a letter to the FDA because pharma companies are working right now to come out with drugs to treat low sexual desire. Um, hmm. And those drugs, for the most part, really, really don't work. <laughs> so we're not. But it raises this question of, when is low interest in sexuality a medical condition and when is it a sexual orientation? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think if you look at the House episode, you look at a lot of the negative stereotypes that um, asexual people like me face, a lot of people seem to have this idea that sexuality and intimacy are Velcroed together. That without sexuality, you can never really experience an intimate connection with another person. And so when I say, hey, I'm not interested in this arbitrary set of physical activities with another person, what they hear is you are not interested in emotional connection at all. Mm -hmm. And they have a hard time imagining a person who's not interested in emotional connection at all. And they have a hard time imagining a person who's not interested in emotional connection at all who doesn't need to be cured. Mm -hmm. And so when I look at the House episode, um, where in that case, you know, they've had this couple that I guess the show seemed to be more or less affectionate and happy, but at the end of the, the episode, it sort of is revealed that they were really, really unhappy and they just wanted to be having sex the whole time. And that apparently <laughs> the wife was just pretending to be right. asexual <laughs> so that she could be with the... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 
<laughs> totally. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know if that would pass today. Like, yeah, if that would fly today. <laughs> um, and and I think that that uh, for for a number of sort of asexual identified or it, it, characters can be interpreted as asexual. Mm. Um, that 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 question of intimacy is always a really really tricky one. Um, and uh, you still don't see um, that many portrayals of asexual characters like struggling to form relationships and wanting to form relationships with people and figuring out how to do that and figuring out how you navigate doing that in a world that equates intimacy and sexuality. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I think for me and for a lot of other asexual people, figuring out how to do that, figuring out how to rewrite their scripts has been the one of the most powerful, interesting, dynamic parts of being asexual. Um, and it's both really hard and really scary and really fun. And, and I'm sure David knows about this. Uh, there is a show that I love, BoJack Horseman. Um, yeah. Have you seen this, David? Yeah. I, so I, okay. I know of it. I haven't actually watched enough BoJack Horseman, but I need okay, to. So the, you yeah, should watch it. I mean, I don't want this is a spoiler alert, but in in the most recent season, the Aaron Paul character. Who plays Todd. Todd. Yeah, yeah Todd Chavez, I think is his name. Mm -hmm. um, he, uh, he comes out as asexual at the end of the season. Todd, can I ask you something? Of course. What's your deal? I feel like you like me, but you don't like me, but you like me, and I don't know what that is. Are you gay? Whoa, why would you even... You can tell me if you're gay, it's fine. This isn't the 1600s or some places in the present. I'm not gay. I mean, I don't think I am, but I don't think I'm straight either. I don't know what I am. I think I might be nothing. Oh, well, that's okay. Yeah? Yeah. Of course. I thought it was really well done. I felt like I had never, I had never seen a character come out as asexual this way, and it made me kind of hopeful for depictions in the future. So my name is Giovanna McCoy. I'm from East Harlem here in the New York City. For the most part, I actually just identify as asexual. I think that's the easiest thing. It's the one uh, term or label that I feel like there isn't any... Um, we, we all basically agree that it means a person who does not experience sexual attraction. And, I mean, so one of the things that I think girls slash women, especially black women, uh, experience is they get very... Sex they are sexualized at a very young age. I know... Myself, I was probably 11 or 12 the first time I was ever catcalled. I know lots of women who also experience the same thing. And as someone who, you know, does not experience those feelings, do you remember the first time that happened to you? And, like, how does that whole dynamic of, like, the sexualization of being a black girl slash now you're a black woman, mm -hmm. like, dealing with the all of these outside forces that say that you should be this, even though... That's not how you feel and that's not how you want to be. Yeah. So, I mean, today, as a genderqueer black woman on top of that, I feel I can look back at my childhood and I to can totally relate to being about 11 or 12. You know, puberty kicks in and I remember hating it. and I was just not looking forward to it. Mm -hmm. Did not like my body changes and um, dealt with that silently. And I remember just feeling really disconnected from this body. I didn't understand, like, okay, these changes are happening. And so a lot of my aceness I can track back to way back then, mm. where even once, you know, people started having sex, basically. Um, like your peers and everything. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, which honestly, the kind of kids I were around, we were all pretty virgins for you know pretty much virgins for a long time. Mm. But dealing in a world where we basically were told you shouldn't be. So my name is Bauer. I live in between New Hampshire and New York City. You started a meetup group. Can you talk a little bit about what that meetup group is and sort of where your desire to create it came from? I started the group in 2012 because I realized there was no out for me to not be asexual. And if I really was ace, I needed a community. Within TV and film, pretty much all of the examples that I found of asexual people are definitely white and lanky most... genius potentially autistic spectrum men yes yes and mostly <laughs> exactly and mostly men who are who have like who it's presented as like a quirk of some sort as opposed right. to like it's actual... like they get one quirk so they have to be white cis straight and then they can just be asexual right yes so they only have one thing against them <laughs> and that's the only way they're allowed to be on screen i work on the ace census and it's about 30, 35% of people who are either trans or gender nonconforming. That is massive, and only, only about 20% of ACEs that come in from that survey identify as straight and asexual. So most people are somewhere outside of that. I'm Noreen Quadir, and I live in Queens, New York, and I'm an asexual and aromantic. There are definitely asexuals who still experience romantic attraction, um, and they can still have meaningful relationships with a significant other. Um, they get married. They you know, do things that every couple's do, except they just don't express um, their relationships physically like a lot of other couples do. Me personally, I, you know, I'm also aromantic, so I don't have that romantic attraction to boys or girls. Um, and I also lack the, the sex drive and the, the sexual attraction, of course. Let's talk a bit about Sirens because okay. it's a show that came out on USA. It uh, centers around EMT uh, workers. And so there's a character named Voodoo who is an, who was just an ace. Out of the ones that I've seen, she, Voodoo, seems to be the one who's like most fleshed out and and least stereotyped out of all of them. Mm-hmm. What what do you think of her her character? And does anything about her character resonate with you in terms of what it's been like for you? I mean, granted, she is a romantic. Like she mm-hmm. she does want relationships. She just doesn't want the physical parts. Yeah, I mean, I the way she was explaining everything. Um, and what the reactions she was dealing with, especially when um, the guy was Brian, yeah. Brian was trying to um, start a relationship with her. You feel like we operate on like a higher plane, right? Uh, what do you mean? I don't know. You mean the fact that we can be intimate with each other without having sex? Yes. If that's what you mean by operate on a higher plane, then yeah, sure. Great. So when we're not together. Like, after I leave, do you just stay on that that higher plane, or do you ever slide down to, like, a, a lower plane, like, down below, or...? I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, you know, I've been in those kinds of situations, too. And, you know, especially when he didn't understand kind of the difference between being asexual and being a celibate. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one's natural, like, who you are, and one's a, a personal choice. I've heard that so many times, especially from people who've, you know, who've 
hit on me. They're like, oh, you know, I haven't had sex in a while either. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on now. We, I'm pretty sure all of us go through droughts. That's <laughs> yeah. not the same thing. Exactly. So, like, I feel like she felt a bit defensive at first, you know, just naturally. And, and I get where that's coming from. Mm-hmm. Because when you deal with that a hundred times... It's just like something that you kind of, okay, this is how it's going to be with people. Giovanna? As a black woman who is an ace, do you ever, like, find it kind of exhausting to feel as though you have to represent yourself? Like, be that black member? I know right now you're doing it, but... Oh, yeah, that's real. I've turned down several requests before this one (laughs) Uh, for things. Well, thank you for coming on. (laughs) Thank you for inviting me. Um, Just because of that very reason is I am very uncomfortable speaking on behalf of a community of any community yeah um so all I can do is you know give my personal experiences and hope that helps someone out basically um and what kind of change between say where I was last year and where I am now is feeling um a need feeling a need to push myself to become more visible because um if I had heard or seen someone like me um, a year ago, three years ago, back in high school, I can't imagine where I would be um, in terms of spl- exploring my you know, sexuality and my gender. Yeah, I mean, I, I know how exhausting that can be. But I, I think you are right in that, you know, part of the issue with asexuality in general, and not just for people of color, is, is that they are very much still invisible. And so, you know, I've gone through the list and I wasn't able to find any examples of film or TV shows where the out asexual person is a person of color. Yeah. They're all pretty much men and all white. Yep. I mean, can is, is there is there one I'm missing or No. Um every time <laughs> we hold a, a Aces of Color meetup group, I like make sure to ask the question, did any has anyone found or thought of a character who seems a little bit ace and is a character of color and we're all just like uh, no mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 percent with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market It's me again. So we're going to jump back one last time to my conversation with David and Angela for the final question we ask all of our filmmaking guests, which is, when was the last time you felt represented on screen? Here are their answers. I have an answer, but David can go. Okay, I have an answer too. Okay. Okay, you go, David. Um, Mine uh, uh, is is a little bit indirect. Um, I just started watching uh, The Expanse on sci-fi. Hmm. And there's one character who sort of casually mentions in one episode that he has eight parents, that he was raised by this community of people um, that came together and wanted to raise a kid. Uh, And that really hit me because when I think about how I want to raise kids as an ace, um, it's not necessarily in a partnership with one other person. And a lot of the work that I've been doing to um, 
to have kids be a part of my life has been about building relationships, really close, committed relationships um, with friends, with people that I'm not in a romantic relationship with and clearly not in a sexual relationship with. Um, and I think that when I raise kids, it's I want to be I want to be a really close, committed part of a community that's doing that. Mm-hmm. And so seeing that represented got to me. Ah, oh, that's a good choice. Mm. I've never seen that show. Yeah, I haven't either, but is yeah, it worth checking out? Uh, yeah, probably. I, <laughs> That's a ringing endorsement. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. David. I, I'm still a little undecided on it. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, David. What about you, Angela? Um, I just saw Hidden Figures, and um, I really loved it. And you mean Hidden though... Figures or Hidden Fences? <laughs> No, Did you okay, hear about no. that? No, no, what? Oh, yes. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> just, oh my God. just to clarify, um, at the Golden Globes, <laughs> we're taping this on the Monday morning after the Golden Globes, and twice, two separate occasions, someone <laughs> referred to either hidden fi- fe- figures or fences as hidden fences. <laughs> oh, my God. That's amazing. They mixed up two of the black amazing. movies. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. I, <laughs> yes, I was seeing all of that on Twitter, but I missed that. So I kept wondering what was going on with my friends because I knew my friends wouldn't do that. And now I guess it's like this happened. Okay. Yes. Like, it makes complete sense to me. <laughs> um, Sorry to interrupt. So, no, no, no. We have so far to go with the people. But um, yes. So I saw it last night because I wanted to see it before the go. And um, yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, Hollywood things a little bit tied with a bow, but um, I really loved it. And, you know, uh, just as a woman, particularly uh, working in film and kind of making the transition into making, doing narrative filmmaking, um, uh, I really connected with the women in that movie. And obviously my journey is in no way as intense as theirs was, but a lot of the sort of sexism that I've experienced particularly in like narrative filmmaking has is kind of on par with the things that I saw in that movie. And um, when I watched that movie, it just reminded me of, uh, you know, all that sort of my ancestors have done for us to have, you know, the opportunities that we have and just like the way that black women have just been a part of kind of the larger cultural landscape in ways that we don't even know. Mm -hmm. And I, um, and I just really, really, it gave me sort of this drive to do what I do. And it kind of made me kind of say to myself, like, suck it up, Tucker. Like, <laughs> you're not walking like a half a mile to the bathroom. So suck it up. <laughs> um, but, um, but it was really, it was just really great. And it was really nice to see a movie where women, particularly black women, are supporting each other. I think that we, you know, particularly with like reality TV and et cetera, we don't really get to see that enough. Mm. And I just felt like, it felt like the friendships that I have in my life. And it was nice to see. That was a great choice. Thank you. Good movie. (laughs) Well, thank you both for coming on. And it was a pleasure to talk with you. And I learned a lot. Thanks for having us. Thank you both. It's really, Angela, it's great to get to chat with you again. And that is all we have for you today. Thank you again to all of my guests, Angela, David, Giovanna, Bauer, and Noreen, for coming on the show and sharing your experiences and thoughts with us. Like I said at the top of the show, I really learned a lot from all of these conversations, and I really hope everyone listening did as well. You can find links to the things we touched on in the show notes, and as always, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Megaphone, Stitcher, or any other place you find your podcasts. Please keep rating us on iTunes, 
We really appreciate your support. And just a heads up, we will finally be talking about Hidden Figures next week, which has been doing really well at the box office. And I'm loving seeing all of the 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 crowdfunding going on to get the little girls to go see the movie. So we'll definitely be talking about that next week. Represent is produced by the lovely, awesome Verlyn Williams. The executive producer of Slate Podcasts is Steve Lichtai. Andy Bowers is chief content officer of Panoply. And you should definitely email us at represent at slate.com if you have any thoughts, suggestions. We've been getting a lot of really great feedback and we really appreciate it. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Slate Represent. Music is performed by the sweet San Francisco funk soul band Midtown Social. Until next time.